Welcome back to Timberwood Youth. I am so excited for us to get the ball rolling in Deuteronomy again. Uh, before we get into our text, just an announcement. Advent season has started, so I'd love to see you guys here in this building, or if you want to join us online with the live stream, that would be perfect as well. All right, let's get into it. <clears throat> so I was probably 10 years old when this happened. I was born in Little Falls, Minnesota, very, very small town. If you've ever been to it, it's just a drive-by town. Not a lot to keep a person busy or active in that town. So whenever I got the opportunity to go to the cities, I was extremely excited. In fact, I really, really love going to the cities for one specific thing, the Mall of America. I loved the Mall of America, being able to go and try all the different foods that they had in the mall that were different than what Little Falls had to offer. And then, of course, you have Camp Snoopy, Nickelodeon Universe now. <coughs> and so I just got excited. My mother would take me there every single birthday. And then I also had the opportunity to go to one of my favorite stores in the world, a store that I've always looked forward to going but never felt manly enough to go to. Yes, even at 10 years old, I was worried, worried about being manly. So the store I wanted to go to and experience was Build-A-Bear. I walked into Build-A-Bear with my mother. I thought, oh my gosh, did my mom somehow know that this is where I wanted to be? And as we went into the store, we were greeted by a customer service person, and they talked to us and showed us how to make a bear. They showed us how to take the bear and stuff it, and then they gave you a little heart, and then you take that heart that was made out of cloth, and you would make a little wish in it, and you put it inside your bear. And the experience, every single bear is supposed to be unique. That's the thought. And so I was put, patching together this bear and excited and having a great time. As we walked out of the store, my mother had the bear begged and paid for, and then my mother says to her, you did a great job, Aiden. Your sister will love this. One of the biggest oof moments in my life. Being excited to go to build the bear, building the bear that I specifically wanted, and finding out it was for my sister during my birthday excursion. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, where we're starting today, the very first verse reads as this. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever. For this is an abomination to the Lord your God. So the last part, for this is an abomination to the Lord your God. That kind of rings true from what we read last week towards the end of chapter 16 and reads as, You shall not plant any tree as an asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. Every time we come to this phrase, uh, God hates this. God finds this to be an abomination. God despises it. These are phrases that we need to pay attention to. These are phrases and thoughts that we really need to grab because this is telling us the character of God is against whatever follows or whatever comes before the statement. And in this section, chapter 17, verse 1, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
So we talked about sacrifice before. We talked about uh, what would happen, how to properly sacrifice, how to drain the blood. So it kind of feels like we're on repeat again. Except not, because 17.1 is an illustration. 17.1 is saying, if you are committed to the Lord, you're going to step in line. You're going to do the things that God finds pleasure in, and you're not going to do the things that God hates. 17.1 is an invitation to the community. 17.1 is a challenge to the people of God saying, if you want to partake in my worship, in my community, then follow and obey me. No one else. Let's stop here and answer questions one and two. All right, as we continue then, we move from 17.1, this illustration, to a more specific offense. In uh, 17 verse 2, and following through uh, verses 7, it talks about idol worship. More specifically, it talks about somebody being accused of worshiping an idol, going against God, and then uh, being <clears throat> and then being found guilty. So there's a few steps that we need to talk about in here. First, there's the allegation of the wrongdoing that 17, 2 through 7 talks about. The allegation of an idol worshiper. And then following in the text, we read that an investigation is supposed to follow that allegation. In fact, right in the text, it says, inquire diligently. Make the point to make sure that these allegations are true or not. And when these allegations are made, the first rule is an allegation can only be made by two to three witnesses or more, not one. That is our first rule of this law. Second, if the person is found guilty, the hand of those witnesses who made the allegations must be the first people to throw the stones to murder the offender. In fact, I know we struggle with that word murder, kill, or Let's talk about the word that we actually use in 17.7b, if you look in your Bibles. It reads as, you shall purge the evil from your midst. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's very strong language. Again, we talked about what is important to God. And what God doesn't want to come into his kingdom is people who would cause the Israelites to stray away from him. And so then he makes the the important language here that anybody found amongst Israel shall be purged if they are following false gods. So then we have to understand why kill people, why not have a civil conversation, why not, you know, try to turn them back, whatever you have. And my answer for you is that those who came into Israel and would try to turn people away from God were like a cancer. God's trying to establish his people, his nation. 
And to do so, God wants the people to obey him and to trust him and be faithful to him. And if you have people entering into that fold who do not want anything to do with God and cause idol worship to become common, then you're just poisoning the water. This lies as much for the people in the community as it is for God. So let's pause here and talk about question three. All right, moving on, the next section that we get into, starting in verse 8 and through verse 13, talks about the law, specifically the priests and the judges and their purposes. So in here we have issues of the law, which can be divided into two categories. The first category is going to be the moral or cultic law. These are things that are related to religious practices and how do we uh, reprimand people that have offended God. The second kind of law is the civil law. The civil law is arguments about land and money and that kind of thing, things that, that aren't specifically connected to a religious issue, but still for the health of the community need to be solved. And so it was a job of the judges to, call, to handle civil law and the job of the priests to handle the moral laws. But both of them were representatives of the covenant to God. In fact, the priests and the judges were the highest authority of God's law on earth. And all were to obey the decisions made by the priests and the judges. This is right in our text Verses 8 through 13. In fact, those who did not obey, their decision to not obey led to self-destruction. Outcasted from the community, outcasted by God, and therefore completely severing your relationship with those around you in the community. Again, God takes these things seriously. There isn't an ounce in this text that says God's okay with the mundane. God's okay with the, the fence-sitters, the lukewarm believers. This text is saying this is the heart of God, and this is what these people needed to do to handle those who are not interested in partaking in God's community. And then finally, the last statement, because I feel like the word obedience is, is a challenge to us. Obedience sounds almost negative. It's my belief that, and it's a picture from the text that I got, that the law was a result of faith and trust in the Lord. Those who trusted God and were faithful to God by their love for God obeyed him because they wanted to be part of the community that God had established for them. For those that were in love with God and understood his nature, his character, and were willing to be part of the family, did not go against what God had to say to them. Let's answer question four right now. All right, moving on. In, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. In the next text, 
are the next uh, following verses. Verses 18 through 20, we talk about kings and the responsibility, responsibility that the king had for his people. So first and foremost, at this point in the text, verses 18 through 20, and even a little earlier, 14 through 20, it is clear that the people will eventually want a king. So the question becomes, did these people know that there would become a king? Did they know that God would establish for them a ruler? Did God have that as his plan? And I think the text just does not answer that question. In fact, I think what the text is just saying is it's very clear that there has always been kings in the area. It's very clear that there has always been a king. Uh, You had Pharaoh of Egypt, for example, the king of the Amorites that they went up against right in uh, chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. So the establishment of a central ruler is nothing new. So what Moses wanted to do is he probably knew that eventually they would need to get to a point where they established a king and a more robust government than just a patriarch with Moses as the head. And so they established law for the kings. The king, first and foremost, most importantly, must be chosen by God. And a king that was chosen by God in the history of Israel would be King David, a man after God's own heart. That term itself identifies that God was chosen, or God chose David. David was chosen for kingship. In fact, we read that in his story as well. Then the next thing is that the king must be of Israel. The king cannot be a foreigner because what would happen is if a foreigner was elected or put in power as a king, excuse me, then, and if they were a foreigner, they would bring in false gods. Exactly the thing that God is trying to protect Israel from. And then we get to this last kind of rule. The king must not seek for himself. The king must not seek for himself. Horses, many wives, excessive silver and gold. So the horses part. It's historically factual that the best horses were found in Egypt. And so God explicitly says, you shall not turn your head towards Egypt and go that way again. Because God had taken his time, his energy, his power to remove Israel from the shackles of Egypt. And if a king were to seek out fine horses, a plethora of horses, then Egypt would be the location that they would go to do that. And then the many wives. Again, many wives of different nations would cause the king to stumble in many ways. Specifically, they would bring in many more idols into the fold. Again, the very thing God hates. And then excessive silver and gold. The king's job was not to serve himself, but to serve the people. And so if the king prioritized gaining wealth over everybody around him, then again, that just sickens the heart of God. 
And finally, the last law or the last rule for a king is he shall hold close to the law. A king should establish himself as a man of God first and foremost. So much so that the law was written down, the law, this law, at the time what they had should be written down and the king should always be focused on it. Understanding, recognizing, and contemplating the warnings that Moses had for that king, the warnings that God had for that king. Let's pause here and talk about question five. So here we are. We started out talking about Build-A-Bear. My heart was broken, actually, when I wanted to build the bear for myself, and then it was given to my sister. But that's not the point. I think the point here is that the image God is challenging us to use, to connect with, is thinking about God putting together a bear, if you will, our Israel has a direct relationship. And he's putting things together intentionally, piece by piece, thread by thread. just for it to be handed off to someone else? No. It was important to God to establish his people. It was important to him to piece by piece create a culture of people who were faithful first to him. The main point, it is important to be involved in a faith community. And I know that probably isn't the most exciting thing for you guys to hear. Oh, a faith community. Well, no, duh. But we have an entire book dedicated to why it is important to be in relationship with the Lord our God and why it's important to be surrounded by people who crave that same relationship with the Lord our God. So, new? No. Extremely important, absolutely. Every page of this book is a story of man and the relationship with God. So dig in with that thought. Maybe there's something new about the community that God has established for us that you've never thought about. Go in peace. Feel free to discuss the last question.